So welcome, uh, David Fetterman. Really appreciate you joining me here. Um, so David, you're the uh, president and CEO of Fetterman and Associates, so a uh, international evaluation consulting firm working with all sorts of, of clients, a wide, uh, a diverse range of, of clients, developer of the uh, empowerment evaluation approach, which we I'm eager to talk with you about uh, today, and uh, past president of the American Evaluation Association, uh, American Anthropological Association as well, right? And uh, recently published uh, book, uh, Ethnography Step by Step also, right? Mm -hmm. So talk about that too, and uh, many other works, many other uh, works as well. So I was hoping you could jump right in and you can uh, explain uh, the essence, and I've heard this from you before, but I'd like to hear the, the, the take now, um, the essence of empowerment evaluation. Like how do you just, just, you know, distinguish it from other approaches? Yeah, one of the ways I do that is, uh, aside from this book, Collaborative Participatory Empowerment Evaluation, yeah. is uh, Chris did a beautiful cartoon in this thing that we, uh, we you know, I trained him about, you know, the differences of these approaches. And uh, we asked him to just, so in a summary fashion, just do this. Right, in right, the, right. In this beautiful little, um, uh, little, uh, little comic piece he did, he has for collaborative, basically the evaluators in charge and says, uh, you know, let's work together and uh, let's see what we can do to make this evaluation successful. In participatory, you're sharing it, where together we'll make this happen. In empower, with the, with the aim in participatory, eventually you're taking it over. Right. So I've done a lot of collaborative and I've done a lot of participatory work and I've never been successful at giving it over to folks. So I thought with empowerment, why don't we just start where you wanna end? We're gonna start with you're in charge and I'm a coach and facilitator. That's the biggest difference between collaborative, participatory, and empowerment evaluation. And this book has the essence of each approach by key authors in their area right. and two, two case examples in it. So um, I love that little uh, comic piece he did for us, that cartoon, because it really captured in a one picture uh, the significant differences. Obviously, we go into even more detail uh, in the book about what each one, but if you look at the role of the evaluator, that's where you can see clearly the differences in these stakeholder involvement approaches. From the very beginning, the idea is like, oh, we're gonna get you started and engage you obviously, but the, the, the given, the premise is, you're gonna take this over, you're gonna do a lot of, we're gonna help, help you get there, right? And so, gonna, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, gonna, I, I'm, yeah, I won't abdicate my responsibility and just say, go do it. I'm right. still in there to help you make sure it's rigorous and on track. And, you know, even the detailed things of not a compound question, all, all the different levels of which we can be of assistance. But the whole point is we're there to help them aim for their goals, not my goals, and their strategies. And then we talk about what's credible evidence. And the difference also is with our approach, with empowerment in particular, uh, everyone has to redefine who they are in their roles. As an evaluator, I'm no longer caught up in the ego part of I'm in control and I'm in charge and I'm the expert. I do know a lot, but I'm a coach and facilitator and you're gonna be in charge. That's important because people are socialized also to depend on us as the experts. So when push comes to shove, they go, oh, David, 
you know, I like doing this a lot, being in charge, but you know, I've got this budget thing I've got to do and this, this, and this. Why don't you, uh, you do it? You're the expert. And you go, no, no, we will continue to do it. So they have to change their role as far as socialization. We have to change ours and the donor has to change also. And our perception of the donor, because we tend to think, just leave the money there and we'll go do the evaluation and run the program. And we're wasting the most important thing, which is not their money, it's their knowledge. They're investing in all these different things. If we could tap into that, it changes the whole dynamic of what we could do to save time and leverage ideas and possibilities. So we have to reconceptualize how we think of the banker, the sponsor, et cetera. They have to change their roles. We have to change ours and also the folks we work with are socialized. So it's all possible. I just highlight that because these are all things that we've done for over like two decades. We've got our 21st anniversary just a couple of years back. But, you know, with Patton and Scriven and all the others doing their critique and stuff like that, but applauding it was after 21 years, which is nice. But my point is, in spite of all of that, culture runs deep and we're very deeply socialized so that when push comes to shove, all of us have to work harder to maintain, not to do it, but to maintain these different roles and thus have sustainability. So I just mentioned that because I've been doing it for so long. I don't want it to sound like, oh, it just works beautifully and just keeps on going. It does, but it's actually a lot of work. Yeah. And you've joked about uh, sort of evaluators putting themselves out of business, you know, if they're yeah, successful. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like also there's a role, even, you know, the evaluation has taken over. It's, it's uh, 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 taken ownership of, it's, there's, it's continued by the, by the uh, organization or by the key staff, or the administration running the program. But still, there's a, it sounds like there, there's still a place for the evaluator long term in terms of training or in terms of guidance and consultation. It's just a different kind of mindset and a different, everyone starting off with some different, very different, fundamentally different premises at the beginning. Precisely, precisely. Okay. It's, I mean, people were, when I first introduced this, you know, as you know, a lot of people, half people who had it loved it, the other half are going, you're taking this away, the, your, the money, uh, right. because I, we can do work in a week that takes normally six months on a needs assessment you can end up doing in a taking stock or a 10 point uh, process in a couple days uh, and the key is right the premise is different as to who's in charge and what we're trying to do is to help them accomplish their objectives it's also not neutral like oh that didn't work okay so we shut the school down no the kids are still there that means let's come up with another strategy we have it's a great goal to help these kids and help them learn and move forward and be you know, ready for the 21st century, et cetera. But uh, just because it failed that experience doesn't mean that strategy doesn't mean you just stop and it's the end of the evaluation. It's a continuous process. So we're needed at higher and higher levels. I think one of the things that was compelling to other colleagues in evaluation about empowerment in the early days, that was when they were having trouble with it because they were thinking we're giving it away. And also same thing with supervisors, by the way, uh, is that you know, they'd be out of a job. And uh, I asked everyone in the room, because I've been, you know, you, you, we've been evaluated for a long, long time. So I, you know, I, I said to everyone in the room, never mind empowerment, just as a colleague, another evaluator, how many of us are operating at 90% of our uh, capacity? Nobody raised their hands. Not one person in the room. These people have been doing it for you know, 20, 30 years, right? Yeah. Okay, how much of us have been doing like, oh, I don't know, 60%? No. Mm -hmm. Most of us are doing the management information systems that should have been in place in the first place so we can do an evaluation. 
I said, what if people were doing that themselves already so that we could then reach our and maximize our potential? And people went, whoa, you're right. So even on our level, if people were doing the things that they should be doing, everyone should be doing some level of self-assessment and assessment evaluation. We can operate at a higher level and do a lot more of what we've already been trained and know how to do than we're ever able to do in a normal uh, evaluation. So the higher level tasks, the higher level skills, functions, those kind of things, that's what you're referring to, okay. Yeah, because right. right off the bat, we can do analysis better than most folks. Of course, we teach them how to do that, but then eventually we do even higher levels of how to help with data collection, analysis, et cetera, reporting, dissemination, um, you know, um, how, how we do our infographic stuff. I mean, there's so much stuff that we do and are able to do, uh-huh. but aren't able to do because we don't work on their capacity to do evaluation. We're doing the stuff that we should not be doing anymore. Got it, got it, got so, it. I mean, it's just, just an insight for evaluators who've been trained for a long time and realize and we all know it. We all admit we're not doing anywhere near what we should be able to do, given our, our background, our training experience. But anyway. With empowerment evaluation, is there a place for, uh, let's say, 21st century uh, type evaluations where they're very much accountability oriented or they have a, a strong element there where they want an external evaluator to you know, check to see if the outcomes are met? Is there a place for empowerment evaluation in those kind of ecosystems or those type of uh, funding situations, yeah. Absolutely, the, the, one of the things that distinguishes empowerment evaluation, aside from process use and the principles that we have and self-determination, accountability, is one. Accountability, it's the, one of our 10 principles is, the, the 10th one is accountability. Did you do it? It's a wonderful approach, it's very engaging. Uh, it's a type of thing where if you're assessing yourself as a community organization, um, Instead of me, if I'm doing it, you don't even want to hear from me and I have a target on my back and you run away when I have results. If you're assessing yourselves and you assess yourself poorly, you go, David, how can you help me? The whole dynamic of empowerment evaluation is, is different uh, in terms of it being inviting and, and et cetera. Yeah. But more to the point for the question you raise, it's still about accountability. Empowerment evaluation isn't done in a vacuum. It's done within the context of what you're held accountable for anyway but I'm asking what you can do in relation to those superintendent's goals or what have, it, what have you. And the bottom line is if that strategy did not work, you put your ego aside and the group comes up with another strategy. The idea is to help get you to that point using evaluation feedback loops. It's not that you just do whatever you want. It's what you're accountable for. And did you, it's a nice approach, but did you do it is always the question, the results. So one of our things that we focus on in our 10 principles is Improvement, of course, uh, ownership, community knowledge, on and on and on. Bottom line, accountability. Did you do it? What's your results? So very much caught up in doing that no matter what. So it's very much consistent. Got it. Uh, on the evaluation theory tree, the Alkin and Christie uh, tree that we're all you know familiar with, that famous tree, um, the uh, uh, empowerment evaluations placed on the use main branch and so you have the other, the methods and the valuing branches do you see, where, where do you see, what, what, what kind of, uh, do you see it kind of like uh, the branches kind of going over a little bit or like what, what let's talk about that. I'm wondering your let, thoughts. Let, about that. Yeah. let me give you a two level insight. Uh, me, David Fetterman and empowerment evaluation. <clears throat> let me, let me explain why I, I separate that out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. was Cause there was some argument. Uh, I didn't, I think they're fine. I think they put me in the right area. Um, but there are a lot of people who argue that I belong in the methods tree because of my work on 
uh, ethnography. I've got a very yeah. popular book on ethnography, fourth edition. Uh, I, I know how to do it and I enjoy it and it informs a lot of my work. Uh, I've done a lot of work with uh, experimental design, treatment control, et cetera. Right. Uh, usually critiquing it, but still uh, very knowledgeable in that, done national work on it, et cetera. Anyway, um, so let me tell you a quick story um, of why uh, it's important to look at it from the individual role, me, and then the, the larger approach, which is much larger than me, empowerment evaluation. But, you know, I know I have influenced it to, you know, and came up with it, whatever. But anyway, I was at a, uh, I think it was a Passover dinner, okay? And my Aunt Mary, who's a wonderful, wonderful woman, but kind of flighty. She's, less, you know, it's very hard to hold down a conversation with her, but very marvelous person. She asked me this dreaded question that none of us want to be, you know, want to ask at a holiday party or, or any kind of religious thing, whatever. What do you do for a living? Oh my gosh, you have to explain what an evaluator is. <laughs> so, I, so at the time, you have to remember, I was really caught up in, design work and methods and detail. And I was writing uh, against using experimental design treatment called in social programs at the time when Cordray and Baruch and others were saying it should be legislated. So right. I had really con big concerns on it because I was running a national evaluation for dropouts. And I knew that uh, kids in the control group were usually African-American kids are giving society a chance and we were passing all the tests and then they arbitrarily put in the control group, their parents would say they're being slapped in the face. So I knew the ethical issues. I knew the methodological issues of um, uh, reactivity, et cetera, et cetera. So my answer to this very simple question was I'm a methodologist, okay? Mm -hmm. And she looked at me, of course, puzzled. Uh -huh. She said, does that mean you're not Jewish anymore? <laughs> Methodist. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, 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 of course, explained, no, I'm still Jewish. I, you know, I, I culturally, you know, I, of course, committed and blah, blah, very proud. Just that Passover, et cetera, of course. And I learned from her, though, to speak more simply and also in a larger framework in terms of what I do, which is um, I love and I'm taught, caught up in methods in tremendous detail. I've written a lot about methods and done a lot of work, work with it. But I do believe that empowerment evaluation, while it could be rooted in understanding and detail with methods, really does belong. I think Alkin and, and I think they did put me in the right place and they put empowerment evaluation in use. Because fundamentally, even though I'm sometimes, as you can see, obsessed with methods for a variety of reasons, fundamentally what I care about is what are you gonna do with this stuff? Now, the third part of it, so that's why I entered the me versus empowerment evaluation. The other part of what you ask about is right on target. When you're doing empowerment evaluation, folks are assessing themselves. Of course, they're valuing. Mm -hmm, right. And they, of course, you're helping them with rigorous methods. So be credible to legislators and other donors, et cetera. So absolutely, methods is critical. Fundamentally, if you were to say one was more important than the other, yes. I would, of course, say use is probably the most important. Did you do it? Is it practically useful? Have you moved forward, et cetera? But you know, and I know, if you haven't done the methods right, then who cares? You don't have the credibility for it to move forward uh, or to be meaningful or to build on knowledge. So to yeah. me, they're interdependent rather than separate parts of the tree. And people did argue a lot um, with that. And let me add one other thing that I should just mention from a personal perspective, because I had to sort of grapple with this when they put me in that section. Not, you know, maybe I didn't want to get boxed in or whatever, but I, I think 
I, bottom line, I think they put me in the right place. Okay. Hey, I'm happy to be on the tree at all, right? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I might be falling off that limb anytime, but at least I'm on it, right? <laughs> but, but the bottom line is that you have to recognize, I think, in this is that we're, it's generational in the sense that we all change. I think at that part of my life, of course I cared about use, but maybe I was more obsessed with method and I evolved into a greater focus on use, et cetera. Um, so that when people see and assess me personally in terms of where I belong on that tree, uh, I would say it would be fair to say that if you were to say what's the dominant force going, then maybe when I was much younger, it was methods maybe more, even though fundamentally I still believed in use always. But maybe I put more of my energy into that and I evolved into more use with methods are still just assumed to be rigorous and good, et cetera. So I just throw that out there because I had to think about this um, evolution personally, as well as watching where the approach has gone with and without me. Right, got it. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's ask you like kind of a tips and tricks kind of uh, 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 question, uh, not magic tricks yet. Uh, uh, I have some. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, uh, we'll get to that soon. Uh, but uh, with uh, engaging project stakeholders, you're talking <laughs> student or beginning evaluator, like what is a good, like what are some common things you find yourself saying or doing that sort of gets people, and I know stakeholders are very wide, you know, category, but what are some, some, some things you could suggest that are, uh, you find to be especially like, you know, helpful? Yeah. For, for new evaluators coming up, you mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of the things I think that are critical um, is the ability to be open to critique. Uh, that we could be wrong. Um, and my experience is, and one, this could be just a quick example once again, <clears throat> where I've made many, many mistakes, uh, you know, and let me just give you one right now. Uh, I do a lot of evaluate and it helps understand why these tips are important for um, putting a check on yourself and your own assumptions and that sort of thing. Uh -huh. And why it's important to get information from the insider's perspective the emic perspective rather than just our own external social scientific perspective for it to be meaningful. Uh, and I mentioned that for two reasons. Uh, I'll come back to that when remind me of the psychiatric ward example in a second. Okay. But first, the pharmacy example, I just want to mention, I, I evaluate hospitals a lot, healthcare systems. And I specifically am pretty good at looking at what's called satellite pharmacies. There are these little pharmacies within a hospital. One would do like oncology, these complex mixtures that they make very few of, like little cocktail things. And then they have peas, which is really the same stuff, you know, tiny little things, all, you know, a ton of them. Well, I'm, trust me, I, I really know it's inside out, you know, blindfold. So, but that's a problem. I ran in one time to the Stanford to one of the pharmacies uh, in the hospital. And I know everybody pretty well. I've been there a long, long time. And, I, but I'm in a rush. I have to go to a board meeting type thing until, you know, see what's going on. They want to know where things are for workload. So I say, you know, would you do me a favor and just, you know, fill up this log for me. I'll grab it on the way out and I'll just bring it to and he goes, David. I'm a working manager. You think I have time to do one more evaluation log thing that you want me to do? I, I said, so I stopped away. Sorry, I'm, I'm too much of a rush. Uh, took too much for granted. Sorry. Tell me what needs to be done. He says, you know I'm killing myself. I'm working to supervise all these folks. I'm putting out a million different, you know, for peas, these prescriptions, these meds going out. 
there's no way I can keep up with all. You know, if I, if, you know, if I wrote down everything I'm doing right now, you know, how many uh, uh, medications are going out, and you know, to whom and what time, and for the and my staff too, man, they would be. Well, that's a log. That's just what I asked them to do. Uh -huh. It came from them. Uh huh. So all right. Critical to put a check on our assumptions. We could be right, but if it's not coming from them, there's not going to be any buy-in. That's the secret for empowerment also, is that it has to come from them for them to have buy-in. And it has to be contextualized in a way that's meaningful. I ask you to do attendance. You're going to go, oh, that's boring. I'm not going to do the attendance thing. That's the last thing I want to do. Forget that. If you're working on reducing the dropout rate in Oakland, which I've been involved in for some time, Oakland public school system, sorry, here in, in California, well, then you have all these ideas about what kind of teaching is important, what kind of pedagogy, uh, even for nurses, what they focus on. Uh, and suddenly, when you get to forms of evidence, oh, we should be collecting uh, attendance to see if our, is, if our, our approach is working. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. attendance is relevant because they can see how it's helpful to establish whether they're on the right track or not. When it's not tied in in a meaningful way to a, a, a context uh, to, related to what they're doing and accomplishing, it has no meaning. It has meaning that's going to self-serve someone else for ADA, for you know, average daily attendance, money or whatever, but not tied in with their goals and objectives. You let them tie in the data collection so a lot of people go for metrics first, you know, and then figure out the goal and go, what are you talking about? What do you want to do first? Then find the metrics. <clears throat> Same thing. It's got to be contextualized within their perception of reality. Let me just transition to perception of reality just for a second. <clears throat> That's a psychiatric example. This is all in the context of why new evaluators, as they're thinking about it, have to put a check on their own assumptions. <clears throat> and I also want them to think about the idea that there isn't just this objective reality that you're aiming at. That subjective perceptions of reality are just as important as objective ones. It's a very difficult one for probably new evaluators to come to terms with. But let me give just a quick example, <clears throat> just one. Sure. I've done work in VA hospitals, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in psychiatric wards for folks, mostly guys who think they can fly. I mean, not like we think like a plane, I mean like fly right. themselves, right? Right, sure. Now, you don't believe that. I may not believe that. That's physically possible. We may believe in a Durkheimian objective reality of this table. But if you're on the third floor of a psychiatric ward and there are no bars on the window, there are concrete physical uh, actions that result from that perception of reality, whether we believe in that. So the perception of reality is just as important in predicting behavior and shaping behavior as the objective one. So these are just a few things I would throw out there that are not these steps on doing a logic model and doing, right, you know, all right. that of course are, you know, important. It's the larger way of framing your respect for the people you work with. And not just to be humanitarian, but because if you really want to understand how things work and you want things to uh, work within their context, you have to understand their culture and their context and operate it within that flow rather than in your own mindset. So put yourself in their shoes. Absolutely, and, and respect, and respect their, them. Their perspective is yeah. a, what, a part of what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and valuing it, and also realizing that's part of uh, human integrity uh, and respect is not, it's, it's not just humanitarian, it's also good evaluation. When you were developing uh, empowerment evaluation uh, you know, through the years, let's say, um, 
are there like specific social sciences uh, research findings, models that you were informed by? I kind of like what you're talking about right now. Uh, I wouldn't know what model that would be pretty yourself, you know, understanding someone else's perspective, but perhaps it's, it's within a model that I'm not some sort of conceptualization, but are there other, are there other sorts of uh, things that you've grounded your, your sure. uh, approach in? Um, are there, or is it more of a, a, a qualitative a di- emergent dynamic where you kind of learned and you developed it or a bit of both? Or can you speak about that? Yeah, I think that that would be interesting to hear about. I think it's, it's eclectic. I mean, I've learned as I'm going along, obviously. Um, I've been informed by Bandura's work, uh, you know, on self-efficacy. Yeah. Uh, Mythog's work on self-regulation. For, for, I started a lot of with kids with disabilities. In fact, what's interesting is... Um, uh, and there's also process use, which I'll get back to in a second. Um, but basically, the way this evolved, I was involved in the accelerated school uh, movement. It's a national movement to get parents more involved, the teachers more involved in control of their education with Hank Levin at Stanford at the time. He's an economist. Um, and we just got along really well and on the same page. And I was also working for the Department of uh, Education, the U.S. Department of Education, on a contract I had with kids with disabilities that were self-determined. And one quick example was, uh, to give you an idea of what I was focusing on for this, was um, I would talk to kids who had severe disabilities. Usually it could be uh, retinosis, going blind, or some physical disability or what have you. And I would interview them mm-hmm. that were particularly self-determined. There's one kid... I was in her home uh, with her parents and stuff, and she told the story. She was a quadriplegic, and uh, in the United States and other cultures also, we have this predilection for, we see a physical disability, we think there's some parallel cognitive disability, which is right. not necessarily by long shot the case. Anyway, in any case, so she was put into a lower level math class because of her physical disability, Right. and during recess, she would always zzz with her electric chair, you know, zoom around motorized chair uh, to hang out with the uh, kids that are, you know, an accelerated group, et cetera. And then she'd have to go back to her regular classroom. Well, she got so mad at one point and so frustrated, she just followed along with the bright other kids in this other class, the upper level class, and went into their classroom uh-huh. and suddenly found out, of course, she's gifted and talented. What a shock, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but that's gutsy self-determination. Well, I was involved in doing that kind of work and accelerate school program stuff. And suddenly it occurred to me, um, it suddenly occurred to me to put all that together. And late, late at night, I wrote up empowerment evaluation and it still made sense in the morning. So I thought, wow, I must have something. And then I started doing more work with Bandura stuff uh, process use, the belief, you know, that the more that people do their own assessment, the more they're going to um, find the findings credible because they're theirs and follow through on the recommendations because they're theirs. So a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, I'll just shut this thing off, there you go. Um, so a lot of these things converged to answer your question, both that I was studying with Bandura stuff, with Mythog's work on self-regulation, um, self-determination, Zimmerman's work on empowerment, all this theoretical work I was working on. A lot of it, though, was also informed. Shut this thing off. It was informed. <laughs> and this call is the first. That's the other problem with you know being at home and work. It's like it's like you're not at home working. You are 
sorry, you're not working at home. You're at home trying to get work done. <laughs> this is the coronavirus, you know, uh, uh, context. Anyway, um, my point is that in answer to your question, uh, I'd like to say, make believe that it was like a resume. Like I have it all done perfectly, aimed for just this job, and my whole life had been aimed. No, uh, it's a confluence of different things coming together. I did ethnography, ethnographic evaluation. I've always believed in the insider's perspective of reality, as important as the external. Uh, try to be non-judgmental. All these things I learned from ethnography informed evaluation, and then in ethnographic forms of evaluation and qualitative approaches, uh, as well as quantitative influenced my perception of what this empowerment evaluation is. What it would look but, like. Yeah, and the bottom line is, yeah. yeah, and I mean, and part of it's just becoming older because at a certain point, you know, I, you can imagine, I've won a lot of awards. I've been president of the AA, blah, blah, blah. All of it's important to me. I don't ever, you know, take it for granted, but I'm not stupid. I know that, you know, I got an award and it lasted an impact for a nanosecond. As you get older, you want something to last longer than that and longer than you. So when you think about building other people's evaluation capacity, then you're talking about sustainability well beyond us. That becomes powerful and meaningful. So I think part of it, it's, it's a constellation of things that are happening between theory, actual practice, experience in the field, seeing what worked, what hasn't worked. And then as you get older and more mature and maybe less caught up in just the ego of yourself alone <clears throat> and seeing that there's something much bigger here that we need to leave behind, yeah. You evolve into something that is aimed at self-determination and right. self-efficacy and that's empowerment. So the, it, it, that's, that's a really interesting answer. I appreciate that. The, um, it, I'm trained as a counseling psychologist. And so our, our training, uh, clinical training, you know, like you learn all the different theories, you know, the cognitive uh, uh, theory, cognitive behavioral therapy, behavioral therapy, dynamic, all the different things. And then you find a lot of people, like a lot of my colleagues, they'll be, they kind of evolved and, and developed their own kind of thing that pulls from many different uh, orientations. And then there's more formal formulations of like theory of personality that inform, that are informed by the, the work of, of the various predecessors. Um, and uh, I'm wondering how evalu uh, empowerment evaluation can be used in conjunction with other forms of evaluation, patterns work, for instance, stuffle beams work, you know, whoever uh, there's, you know, as this tree shows us many different models so that, you know, evaluators, it seems will each one of us, as we get more senior in our career, will develop our own kind of version or right. approach, right. In some way. Right. Right. Do you see uh, empowerment evaluation as potentially fitting in with, can you, you know, can you speak about that uh, di dynamic yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah. In the in the end part of this book, I think the collaborative participatory empowerment, just an ex as an example, I mentioned that some of the work I've been doing with um, the Kellogg Foundation, they invited me over there, the board asked me to do empowerment evaluation with them, etc. Um, and we did, it was very cool, did a lot of interesting work. But my point in relation to your question is, can you combine, for example? Well, I found that in some cases, they didn't need and or want empowerment for everything collaborative approaches were sufficient and they didn't they knew the topic well and they knew what worked and didn't work but they wanted more about just a collaboration and in other cases they needed a much more fundamental empowerment evaluation self-assessment uh and in more depth where they do completely take control rather than have someone else do most of it for them and we did both at the same time 
So even within this context of stakeholder involvement approaches, there's no question you can combine. You can do them in different environments. Joyce Keller, when we first started this 21 years ago, did it with the top Texas audit agency, the most hierarchical, strict down, a top down approach uh, organization you can operate in, even contextually within organizational context, you can operate there. Now, maybe not as effectively as some group that already buys into the concept and philosophy, but you can do it there. And she established that even in a very rigid context, an authoritarian one, it can be done. Now, when people ask me, do I do it? Uh, I think 21 years ago, yes, I would do all sorts of things to show what context it could be done in and have other people do it. Uh, but at this point in my life, I only work with folks who philosophically have the same direction because I can go so much further. Why do I want to waste my life? I've already, we've already proved it can work. It just doesn't work as well, but it can but maybe it's needed there more. So you see what I mean? There's different rationalizations yeah. for doing that, but mine is more, I'd rather go with an organization who believes this concept of being more in control of their lives. And I give them the tools, evaluation tools to be able to do that as my bias in that regard. But the fundamental answer to your question is yes, it can be used with many different approaches, not just stakeholder involvement ones uh, and woven in together. And when we do empowerment evaluations, I always have an external evaluation instead of eyes looking at what we do, but it's done within our context of what our terms are. So a quick example of why this is critical is that you could have, you know, great people like Deloitte and Touche and other folks like that come in and they're phenomenal, but if they're assessing you at a different level of your organizational maturity, say that you've been 10 years out and you've only been two years out, they'll kill you because they're all correct but incorrect for that level of development of where you are in your maturation process. Right, right. So I always say, here's where we are. Now help us from your perspective, which would be great. You're, you're brilliant at what you do, but within the context of what we think is critical at this point in our time of our life cycle, developmentally speaking. Otherwise, they'll ruin you. Have you do all sorts of great dissemination and stuff like that that you don't have the money for since you don't even have basic operations in place. Yeah, right. Yeah. So... Empowerment evaluation, is it methodologically agnostic, would you say, in terms of uh, when we think about quant qual? Um, yes. Sort of thing, yeah, okay. Yes, absolutely. I, I was trained as an ethnographer to be qualitative and quantitative. I wasn't just qualitative or quantitative, and both are critical for the, the approach. And there are many ways of doing it. I do a three-step approach that I like that's been very effective, where I ask you as a group what you think your mission is. I ask you to take stock of where you are, and then I ask you then to base your plans in the future on that evaluation. So you have a thread of coherence and then we have a monitoring system. Abe Wandersman has a 10 step process that you go through each step to get there and all the way through. You can use a million different methods. I work with artists who find when I assess things on a one to 10 scale or, or the group is supposed to do it one to 10, 10, everything's going great. One terrible. Uh -huh. We put it on a spreadsheet and, you know, we average it and blah, blah, blah. They find that too, um, overwhelming and oppressive uh and too quantitative yeah i don't i don't care let's draw a circle and we'll put the red i'll give you red dots or magic markers and you put them on the right side if that means something's wrong and if it's green uh everything's i mean everything's okay for green dots you're over on that side i never say it's cluster analysis i never say anything technical about what's going on they just see visually oh we have a lot of problems here for communication i see all these red dots i don't care i happen to like the Spreadsheet better, it's easier to quantify and to uh, measure and to show change over time, but they both work. But you gotta see it from their perspective. You gotta, yeah. what, what's in their way? 
if the methods are getting in the way that look when i recommend people use you know methods in in power evaluation they ask me you know what methods do you use i go i don't know <laughs> how would i know until we get to plans for the future i don't know what you need then i know if you need an online survey or if you need infographic stuff for dissemination right. blah 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 but right. i don't know off the bat in terms of what you want to do my favorite is and coming to a meeting and they, they start talking about the statistics you use in the study without talking about even the research questions first, you know, so that's yeah. like the thing. It's like, uh, yeah, well, what, are, what are you going to use? What, you know, logistic regression or is it going to be, you know, and I'm like, well, what are, what are the questions, right? And so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, people, people just jump to metrics right off the bat, you know, and, and who knows? I don't know. What are you talking about first? What's your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? We, then let's talk about, you know, uh, statistical methods or, quantitative qualitative methods that you think are appropriate you know focus yeah. groups whatever it may be i don't know There's some so, fundamental mindsets in evaluation you see that have to do like seeing things from other people's perspectives starting with the evaluation question like some pretty conceptually straightforward things but that can make a huge difference and that are not followed often absolutely absolutely right? so when and not just about in evaluation but you see it in government well Health policy, the whole, I mean, it's just, you know, that's whole. That's a whole anti-science approach. I mean, that's going on yeah. right now, as you know. But, yeah. but yes, I mean, I think what we're both highlighting is that um, when we think about folks beginning and thinking about evaluation, yeah. yes, we can recommend a million techniques and tools and everything else, but the core is your thinking and helping people think like an evaluator <clears throat> is a great goal because then you're, they can then take that for the rest of their lives and apply it to things Outside, I, when I was running my first programs and, and projects at Stanford as a, as a junior person, I had these big national projects going and everything else was really nice and dropouts and everything else. But you train people to do something and they leave for another better job and you pull your hair out because like, what the heck, I train them. I don't. And Hank taught me, David, if you really believe in what you're saying and you have to think generationally, and that means not just this project, but you now have trained someone who you're planting a seed who has evaluative capacity to do good elsewhere yep. in a methodologically sophisticated, rigorous way, you should be proud of yourself. Now, I thought, wow, he's right. But also personally, I felt, oh, man, I got to go train somebody again. Yeah, and right. also I got to delay my own project. So yeah. I was mixed feelings between being immature yeah. about it and personally taking it, you know, as, oh, this is not good for me. And being torn with the fact that, yeah, he's right. I, if I believe in this, I have to think beyond us and our own dissemination project and et cetera. But that's not so easy to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Is this, these ways of thinking, they're evalu are they, do they, is that basically evaluative thinking? Is that what we're yes. talking about to a yeah, large degree? Yeah. Or, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are thinking more, you know, in terms of evidence, in terms of um, how goals are related to, you know, the, the tools and, and, and measuring and monitoring it. Things that, you know, we take for granted are the fundamental ways of thinking about you know, our life that we want to impart on others, junior colleagues as they're coming up, community folks as they're operating and functioning in their capacity. You know? So yeah, right. I should, and I should show you, by the way, that you know, when you were asking about tricks, yeah, yeah. This should, I should show you something on a trick that you mentioned that they're magic. I think that evaluation is magic. Look at this. Watch this, ready? It's going higher and higher. I don't know why it's going higher and higher, though. But that's, that's evaluation. It's, it's mostly, it could be magic like that. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, <laughs> I just throw that in there as 
Uh, it's one of the distractions we use during the coronavirus, in case anyone's watching this <laughs> tape, is that we keep ourselves and our families busy with magic tricks and other things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but I think there's a certain magic also in evaluation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In evaluation, you know, we try to do it so it's methodologically sound. We're not trying to yeah. game and distract people. But that's why I'm into infographics. Most people don't read our work anymore, but they do look at a graph. They do look at an infographic. They do look at the, the visuals that sort of catch your attention are part of what we need to be trained to do. Not necessarily magic of that nature, uh, yeah. but, 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 but sometimes, you know, and, and not sleight of hand, but, uh -huh. but sometimes we the better we are at doing some of these kinds of things, by the way, the better we can spot distractions in people's work. And that's what magic is about very often. Yeah. So I just point that out because that's one of the things I am intrigued by. I do these tricks, as you mentioned earlier, for fun, but also, you know, it's, it's, it keeps people's minds off of the other larger issues going on now, economically, you know, being out sure. of job, disease, everything else. It's good for the family and everything else. But uh, at the same time, it does instruct us to be able to be very mindful and keep our eyes open and help the community be more careful about reading or hearing about things done about or to them instead of with them. Once right. again, a mindset approach. But go ahead. Yeah, questioning things, definitely. Yeah. Uh, good resources. Um, you, you've sent me some of these before. I'm wondering if you could kind of highlight um, empowerment sure. evaluation, other resources that um, you, maybe you could mention or kind of go over, and then yeah. we can, I could yeah. put them in the notes. Uh, yes. I place you a whole, I'll email you a whole list that have um, some of our, um, uh, our talks, uh, our, um, the ones that are really interesting are the ones that are these, um, talks that you have to give the whole ball of wax, everything about empowerment evaluation in five minutes with 20 slides. Oh yeah. Uh, those, yeah we've done those. The, 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 those presentations are great. I've got those on there. Got yeah. hour long ones. We've got a lot of free work. Like I've done, a, I helped Stanford uh, med school get through accreditation using empowerment evaluation. I used to be the director of evaluation over there. I'll give you a lot of examples that are in academic medicine. My students got work done in JAMA and journal from American medical association. Um, of course, the American Journal for Evaluation. I'll give you a lot of citations of that nature, but right. this book is the best collection. Be People it. want us to all put it into one place. Uh, you know, Stuart Donaldson wrote you know, a piece about it. He said, it's one of the greatest evaluation, evaluation, uh, one of the greatest evaluation innovations of the past two decades has been the development of a professional and systematic approach to self-evaluation called empowerment evaluation. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Schumer, others. Uh, this one, people were reading about our stuff here, there, everywhere. They ask, "Can we put it all in one place?" So this has the theory, the principles, the steps, case examples. Uh, we have a ten-year study of our work with tobacco prevention in Arkansas. Uh -huh. We have work with uh, uh, this book has examples with we've done work with Google. Uh, Hewlett Packard, helping to bridge the digital divide in communities of color. Um, so the, the, the second edition of Empowerment Evaluation, this one's probably the best one to get all of the information on. Having said that, I'll give you a list of tons of things that are free that are online, ranging from articles to videos um, to, you know, YouTube pieces uh, and other examples of other projects that we've done. Uh, we have a ton of information. Oh, and don't let me forget the newsletter uh, has a tremendous amount of uh, detail that I just put out recently. 
We can, uh, people can sign up for that. There's a, a subscribe area so we can direct them to, okay, perfect. Ex ex exactly. Great. And also we just had our 21st anniversary that was published in the evaluation program planning, planning journal that has Griven's comments. How about what's laudable about empowerment evaluation? He was one of our <laughs> biggest, biggest critics and he's right, come right, around. Right. And then we've got Patton, very complimentary. Uh, Stuart, of course, Donaldson, past president, yeah. also extremely complimentary. Now keep in mind, you know, I used to be a lot taller. Uh, you get hammered down with the critiques <laughs> that were the empowerment evaluation were tremendous when I first began. People yeah. were, when you read Stubblebean's work, if you remember, it yeah. wasn't just empowerment, it was personal. Um, and uh, Scriven loves the fact that we've been always open to dialogue and we've posted his criticisms and everyone else's on the web. But we're not stupid, we also put our response too. Yeah, to sure. one. But, but we, we're very open, we've learned a lot by getting we, we believe in being critical friends and the role of critical friends. And we have refined our rigor and conceptual clarity tremendously over 21 years so that more and more people, it represents over a fourth of the membership now. And it was like an end of one, you know? Mm -hmm. It's because I think we've been open, which is also something that's important for new evaluators to think about is be open to critique. Even if it hurts, it's only gonna refine your thinking and improve your practice. You know, obviously you would like to have uh, a critical friend rather than a critical enemy, but that you want someone who is going to actually try to critique you in a way that's going to help move you move forward. So I think that's another part of answer, another part of the answer to your question. But we're helping people. Openness with. to openness to criticism brings absolutely growth. Absolutely. And then people can stay in touch with you. The newsletter, website, um, you're on LinkedIn, Twitter as well. Are you on Twitter yeah. or any other? Tw uh, Twitter, yeah, Twitter. Uh, Email, of course, is the best way because sometimes I travel. Well, I used to travel a lot. Now I'm not traveling quite as much given the shell. I'm in shelter in place for a while. But normally I do travel a fair amount. So it takes me a couple of days to get back. But if people are just, you know, stick with me. I get back to everybody. Um, so email is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Facebook is good. LinkedIn is good. Uh, I'm very accessible. I try to reach out to people. Just had a good talk uh, preparing for another series of webinars in India with colleagues over there that are doing similar work. And right. it was learning about this and realizing, oh my gosh, that's the biggest thing. In a lot of other countries, people were doing something similar, but it wasn't necessarily as rigorous or systematic. So they're loving empowerment evaluation because it gives it more credibility and pulls it together conceptually, exactly. And to me, a lot of people were looking at, and you probably look at this too, people ask you to look at their strategic design, your plans and some of that, and you go, oh, they're great, but they never go anywhere. The difference is with empowerment evaluation, you're asking people what's their mission and purpose. You ask them to take stock of where they are. And you ask them to plan for the future. So now you have some intellectual coherence. That strategic plan is rooted in evaluation, which is rooted in their mission. Before, when I read these things, I read literally thousands of these things, and they're really brilliant, but they go nowhere. They're not rooted in anything. When you have that conceptual coherence, you have a higher probability anyway of that plan meaning being meaningful and actually being something people can work on and move forward to and accomplish objectives, accountability once again. Right, right. Well, really appreciate it. Uh, we got some great information from you. Good summary. We went through a lot of interesting things here and uh, great, great discussion. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, Oh, we'll, happy, you know, happy, happy to do it. Yeah, and let me show you one other thing. I don't know if you see it too well from here, but I've got a you know, quarter right, right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got to... Yeah. If the action's yeah. going on down there, we got Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah. Is okay? I got right there? And then, I'm, oh, shoot, it's not working, though. Darn it. I was going to end with a great trick where it's actually making it disappear. Oh, it worked. 
<laughs> it did work. Anyway, just a cute okay, way to end. We got two tricks in as well uh, into that, so that's round it out. You have to make life fun. Uh, keep absolutely, people absolutely, yeah. Uh, and I didn't do that. I didn't do that just to change the topic. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, it's been a pleasure. I uh, really had a good time chatting with you. Uh, it's nice to have a colleague, you know, where we understand the same kind of issues and to grapple with these. And I, I hope other f people find them useful, our conversation as well. Oh, definitely. I think this will be very helpful. Thanks. Okay. You take care. Huh? Bye.